Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Mike D'Andrea. Mike is a former Ohio State football player who now owns T3 Performance, the top training facility for athletes in Northeast Ohio. But a big part of the athletic training at T3 is the mental aspect of the games that we play. And Mike is here to talk about how important mental training is and how it plays a role in building a great team culture. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Really appreciate you having me on here today. So on the podcast, we do talk a lot about how coaches can build good team cultures, but I don't want the player's role to get lost in all of this. And more importantly, I want to share ways coaches can keep a player's psyche or their mindset intact. I think the mentality of the players and the coaches go hand in hand when it comes to developing team culture. So, Mike, my first question for you, was mental training part of your preparation when you were playing linebacker at Ohio State? You know, it it definitely – um, uh, was not like it is today in, in most settings, even, even at the high school level. Uh, I think back in the day and, you know, I was there from 02 to 07 and I want to say we had a few like seminars, maybe we had, we had a couple of speakers coming in, but I don't, we didn't really have anyone there, you know, working with us, talking to all of us, you know, every single day. Uh, it, it may have been like a service they offered if someone was really struggling with something, but um, you know, how teams and, and individual athletes incorporated today, I think, is totally different than it was, you know, 15 years ago. So before we get into the specifics of mental training, I want to talk to you a little bit about T3 performance and, and how you came up with the idea. 
you know, after your playing days were done and, and now you become a business owner. Can you walk me through that? The early days of T3, how did you come up with this idea to create such an outstanding facility? Yeah, look, it, it definitely uh, wasn't always the plan. My vision uh, has <laughs> kind of cleared up over the you know 13 years that we've been doing this. And uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in, I forget who said the quote, but it's something like is, you know, go as far as you can see. And then when you get there, you'll be able to see further. And, you know, when we started 13 years ago, it was literally, um, I think like a, a 1500 square foot personal training studio in Westlake. And it was a previous business that was, uh, you know, kind of struggling. The owners wanted out. And so I ended up, you know, partnering with their son and um, a couple years later I bought him out. But, you know, over the over the time uh, we, we moved from Westlake to Avon, uh, which is about 15 minutes away for those that don't know. Um, and then we were in Avon in, in a warehouse. We started in 8000 square feet, went up to 20 uh, and then gradually, you know, moved into what we have today. So it seems to me like, as, you know, as the years, because I, I know what what the uh, not the first place, but the second place looked like. Cause that's when uh, my son started going up to T3s when you were in the uh, the old trucking warehouse is really mm-hmm. what it was, you know. But but it, it seems to me like you've been able to adapt the facility to the needs of players today. Is that what you've been trying to do? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, day one, it was like, hey, look. I love training athletes and I had a good idea as to how to train athletes. And and so we, I I remember the first, first week I pulled up a bunch of equipment out of my dad's basement. Um, definitely shouldn't have been used in a commercial setting, but we did anyways. Um, and you know, as you know, we kind of progressed and, you know, we, we, we kept learning and I mean, we would travel all over the country looking at uh, who's, who's the best of the best, how are they doing it? Uh, and then also on the flip side of that, who's, who's failed and why they failed and, so we've, we've just tried to, you know, accumulate lessons over the years. And, and you know, the, I think the, the best thing that we do as a staff and as an organization is just listen to our clients. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the way the facility is laid out right now, as, as you well know, is, you know, based on, you know, I think just years of listening to clients and, and researching and looking at other facilities. But was this your plan? When, I mean, I'm sure when you were when you got to Ohio State, you had dreams of playing in the pros. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and and but did you think at that time about what you would do after you were done playing? And was this on the list? Yeah. So I'd say for the first 21 years of my life, I was all my eggs were in the uh, NFL basket. Uh, didn't didn't really give much thought outside of that, um, except I, I kind of knew you know, back burner item would have been, you know, just, I want to do something in the business world. Um, and, you know, after my injuries, uh, obviously couldn't, you know, move forward with my playing career. And so I, I ended up working, my first job out of college was uh, at a company called First Investors. It's like mutual funds, insurance, that kind of stuff. And then I moved back up to Cleveland. My buddy talked me into selling these big copy machines Um which isn't super glamorous, but it was a phenomenal learning experience uh, from the sales side of things. And then, you know, while I had that job, I was kind of training athletes on the side at a couple of local gyms. And then, I mean, within, I don't know, probably three years after, no, two years after college, uh, this, this opportunity that I had already mentioned kind of popped up. And so, 
you're developing T3. And did you feel like, did, did you know right away that mental training could be part of this? Or was it something that you, you, you kind of came about as, you know, a, a, after a few years after opening the business? When did you start to think that mental training should be a part of the physical training that you provide for athletes? Yeah, I want to say we we probably, I mean, you know, the way I, I grew up and, you know, my coaches, I mean, they were essentially our, our mental performance coaches too, you know, like they would, for the most part, just stay, say, tough it out or, you know, whatever. And, and there was no formal education going on, obviously. Um, you know, when we first started, you know, I think in the NFL, you know, in the pro ranks and the D1 college ranks, it was starting to become more prevalent. Um, in the training world that I was in 13 years ago when we started, it, it really wasn't yet. Um, a lot of stuff was just kind of starting to come out. So I think maybe like year three or four, we brought in a couple you know, presenters or speakers uh, on it, but it wasn't anything consistent like what we have today. And, uh, you know, you fast forward to about a year and a half ago, a uh, little over a year ago, actually, no, a year and a half ago. And um, we've always been meaning to move in that direction. And, and we had a, a chance to have, you know, bring on a great intern. And, um, you know, she was phenomenal. She's, you know, now got a full-time gig with us. And it was kind of, you know, good timing with everything going on with the pandemic. And there were a lot of kids that struggled through it, you know, last year, last summer, not being able to compete. Um, you know, but, you know, Molly's been a great resource for our coaches as well. Not just, not just our athletes. And, you know, when we're talking about the mental training, this is, this goes beyond, you know, somebody gets hurt and maybe they're down and they're upset or something. This is, this is more of like, presenting a constant mental mindset for an athlete. Is, is that, is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, you know, game day optimization. So, you know, an athlete can, you know, work on their speed, their core, their power, their strength, all that kind of stuff. But if they go out there, especially in a sport like, you know, baseball, if they go out there and it's just them standing on the pitching mound and they start getting inside their own head or it's, or it's them, you know, on the free throw line, um, you know, and they start kind of racking their brain on, on things they really shouldn't be thinking about, you know, where's, where's the training for that, you know? Um, and I think, you know, if you're whatever, it could be a tight, tight game, you know, towards the end of the game and there's certain things going on. And, um, so it's just, you know, about helping the athlete develop tools for moments like that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned baseball and the pitching mound, because honestly, the, my idea to to have you on the podcast really comes from my son playing for Ryan Rua, who coaches one of the T3 baseball teams. Hmm. And, and I've told Jeff Sudbrook, who's the general manager over at T3. And I've, I've told Ryan too, that my wife and I, you, you can see the difference in him when he steps on the mound with that team. The, the confidence that he exudes with that team is just, you, I just don't see it anywhere else. And I, and I have to credit, you know, what Ryan is doing with, with that team and Jeff, you know, and then, you know, all the way up to you, Mike, with, with the, the establishment and what you have going with the whole mental aspect 
of the game. I have to tell you, I see it firsthand. It is it, it is night and day, the difference in him, just the confidence he exudes. And that has to be the goal that you're trying to reach with every one of these players. Yeah, no, that's that's really awesome to hear. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the majority of the kids that we train are not going to go play at D1 or, or college or, um, or pros. And, you know, so we, we always talk about how can we equip them to be successful in life no matter what. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, kids that have success early on in life develop that confidence needed for, for later on in life. And so to hear that is, is really awesome. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a combination of obviously what we do on the mental performance side, but also how we structure our, um, you know, our, our coaching sessions. Uh, a few years ago, we worked with a group, uh, the Positive Coaching Alliance, and really good nonprofit group. Um, they have, I think, a chapter in Cleveland and some other local chapters. And I mean, it's, it's all about, it's mostly for like, you know, dad coaches and stuff, but it's, it's really, it's all about um, the idea of focusing on positive feedback. And, and that kind of, you know, I, that, that probably really got the ball rolling on um, us moving towards getting our own mental performance coach. Well, you know, and, and this is obviously it's called the Courtside Culture Podcast. And we do talk a lot about building a team culture. But I think this is such a big part of it, because when one of the reasons he, you know, he has that confidence is because, you know, he trusts the guys behind him. You know, he, you know, he, he, he has that, that kind of, it's, and it's like infectious amongst all of them. And, and these kids just really, they, they're, they're, they're bonded so well. And, and I always, you know, I say it starts at the top, but, but to me, and, and this is a consistent word I keep hearing, Mike, you know, from, from coaches and players and, and, and authors and podcasts, everybody that I have on the podcast, you know, that word trust that comes along. And so, I mean, and do you see it? And I mean, and please think back to your playing days. I mean, do you, do you see that, you know, that confidence turning into that trust and they kind of go hand in hand? Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, look, if I'm, if I'm playing linebacker, and, you know, I know I have some phenomenal DBs behind me and it's a passing situation. I can maybe, you know, be a little bit more risky than I normally would, um, you know, or, or vice versa with the D line in front of me. And, and I think that's true for every sport. Um, you know, uh, Le- LeBron's going to go into a game more confident now because he has Anthony Davis to play with, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, the, the skill around you is critical. But, but obviously how that all kind of coalesces, you know, through practice and training and conversations and, and essentially building trust, you know, it's more than just the raw athleticism. It's okay. Can I rely on this guy when things get tight or difficult? Um, you know, and it's, it's funny. We, uh, so we, we got into, I don't know if you've ever been to our, in our, uh, performance training area where we have the, the boards up on the wall where it talks about the, the seven virtues, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, and 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 one of them is uh, trust, and so we talk a lot about, um, you know, with just from our coaching organization, our coaching staff, we talk a lot about psychological safety. So, um, and and that's just that's just the idea of you know a kid comes in, and you know we we try to make him feel as comfortable as possible as soon as possible. That doesn't mean we're not going to push him. That doesn't mean we're going to not put him in uncomfortable situations. Um, because that's how you grow. But in order to get to that point, you know, we need that athlete to feel comfortable enough and, and, um, to be able to trust our coaches when we tell them to go, Hey, go, go do that hard thing that we're asking you to do. 
Um, you know, so, so, you know, whether it's trust or psychological safety, it's something we're thinking immediately as soon as an athlete kind of steps in our facility and, and with our coaches and coaching staff as well. Do you have to adjust the mental training to each player, whether it's based on age or just their personality? Are there adjustments that have to be made? Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, that's the case for really any, any, um, thing that you really want to teach and relate to the athletes. It's like, you know, there are general principles that apply to all athletes, regardless of sport. Um, you know, maybe certain ones that, you know, re- uh, relate to like individual sports like track or I consider baseball an individual sport um, to an extent or golf or tennis uh, and then different, um, you know, kind of drills and exercises that you can kind of go over with, uh, you know, with the team. So, you know, the the whole idea of the mental training now you mentioned you know it was kind of sporadic for you as as a player but was there something you know personal or do you ever think back about and think you know i look back on that and say man if i had something like this you know when i was playing you know who knows i might have been able to 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 play even better i mean do you ever think about that is there anything personal that that helped propel you to add this to the t3 line of uh of uh things that you can you can work on uh you know personally i would say i always i was always relatively even keel with you know thoughts and emotions i mean after some of my injuries in college you know that was uh you know that was kind of tough and and maybe that would have been a good place to have someone like who we have now on staff to to go and kind of talk through some things but i don't know even at that it was like um and, and again there's there's two ways I think about mental performance training. It's, um, you know, shoring up something that needs to be shored up. Um, and then there's, you know, going above and beyond and, and just trying to optimize performance. And so I'm talking more about, um, you know, kind of fixing any, any weaknesses. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely um, think it would have helped, you know, come game day, you know, when you get all the jitters, you're playing in front of all those people and, you know, you have all your buddies and family and everyone's kind of talking to you, um, you know, because one of the things that um, that we work on with our athletes is just kind of quieting down the, the chatter and, um, you know, really, really being able to focus and, and get into that state of flow. Do you ever work with coaches as well with with the mental training? And if you don't, I mean, do you think it, there's a place for coaches in, in, in maybe getting some mental training to try and get the players and the coaches more on the same page? Yeah, so we always think about, like, you know, what can have a multiplying effect? So, you know, it's one thing we – have, we have one mental performance coach on staff, and it's one thing if she can go out and, um, you know, talk to teams or individuals – but it's a totally different thing if we have our, you know, close to 25 performance coaches on staff that are equipped with a base level of knowledge um, that they can go out and um, kind of do the same thing. Not to that level because they don't have that, you know, deep level of training, but but at least, you know, good enough to, you know, move the needle on this. And so, you know, we actually, especially over quarantine, uh, you know, in somewhat of a you know, kind of blessing in, dis- in disguise in a, in a bad, you know, bad time, bad situation. But, um, you know, we had uh, our mental coach work with our coaches on how to improve the feedback they give to athletes with the idea of being like, hey, if we can give better feedback, if we really are, 
um, you know, concerned with every single word that we relate to our athlete, you know, we, we probably will have a better chance at, you know, motivating that athlete and, and helping build confidence within that athlete, you know? Um, and so when we opened our doors back up last summer, I mean, she was out on the floor, literally just listening to how our coaches interacted with our athletes and how they gave feedback to our athletes. Um, and the coaches were like, they loved it. I mean, they were like, man, I've, I've never had anything like this. Like I know how to write up, you know, the best training program. I know how to watch a squat and tell you what, what angles are missing, but you know, I've never really been coached on how to analyze the feedback that I'm giving to athletes. I mean, it's, it's almost like a given in our field, you know, um, where it's just, Hey, you just kind of hope you get a coach with a great personality. So we're, we're trying to systemize, systematize that as, as much as possible and, you know, give, give our coaches more tools. Well, that's awesome to hear because, like, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that I say a lot on this podcast is just, you know, and, and, and if you have a teenager, I think you get it. But it's like the psyche of, you know, a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid. It's it, it can be fragile. You know, especially if, you know, if the kid isn't the greatest athlete in the world, he's a good player. So, you know, it's like there are just, you know, it, it, things can can happen that just don't seem like they're that big a deal. But to them, it's such a big deal because their psyches are so fragile. And it really honestly, a lot of those situations that develop, it comes from the way a coach maybe said something to them or conveyed something to them or didn't convey something to them. And, and to hear that is refreshing. And to, you know, it, you just feel now like this is, has to become the norm among coaches understanding, you know, this, this whole mental aspect of the games. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I think, um, just learning a little bit more about this myself. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's one thing to coach a kid to be a better basketball player. Uh, it's a totally different thing to equip that kid, um, you know, with the, with the mental skills. I don't even want to say mental toughness because it's more than that. You know, mental skills to just optimize their performance in, in whatever they do. And, you know, for, you know, whatever. Hundreds of years, people have trained the, the physical body um, to perform at its, at its peak you know, uh, longer than that, actually. But, um, you know, but but just recently, people are really getting into the science and, and then, you know, figuring out how to apply that to athletes on the mental side. So I, I think it's only going to grow. I mean, you, you see every, every you know, big time college, every pro team now has mental performance coaches. Uh, uh, Nick Saban was like, you know, one of the first, I think, to get a full time guy on staff. And he attributes a lot of their success down in Alabama to that. Um. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's a no brainer. Uh, the matter is, you know, the, the, the question is, is, um, you know, how are, you know, some of the schools at the lower levels going to be able to get the resources for this kind of stuff? Well, and, and you mentioned it and, and, and I was, you know, and I was going to bring this up like this is not about being soft. You know, you're, you know, you're not like a soft player because you, you need mental training. This is this is so much more than that, you know. It's like you talked about those confidence building skills. It's like, you know, like you said, it, this is, this is training for your brain. Like, like whether, you know, when you're in the weight room, you know, curling and benching and, and doing all these other things, you know, that's what this is for your brain, right? It's, it's making your, your, your brain stronger to handle anything that is, is thrown at it. Is that a, is that a good way to look at it? Yeah. Yeah. It's making it more resilient. And we, we talk a lot about resiliency. Um, 
you know, whether we talk a lot about staying medium. So, and I know this is, you know, kind of a, I think generally accepted, you know, principle, but you know, whether you have a great, great game, don't get too high, whether you have a bad game, don't get too low, um, you know, stay medium. And, and, but then how do you stay medium? How do you, how do you self-talk, um, you know, before a game or after a game to, to kind of stay level with your emotions? Cause when you're level with your emotions, I mean, that's, that's when you have your best chance of getting into that flow state, which is, you know, critical for, for optimum uh, performance. And, you know, and, and you say the, the trouble might be trying to figure out how, you know, maybe high schools or, or, or lower level um, programs coming up with the funding for something like this. But this is why, you know, I wanted to have you on, Mike, because this is it's going to fall back on the coaches and then the coaches are going to need to understand that this is kind of becoming part of the job. Right. Just, you know, to 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 build your players up, right? And to keep them, you know, to keep their confidence level up in, in so many different ways. And it really, it starts with the mental aspect of the game. So, you know, that's why I think it'd be critical for coaches to, to at least learn about this or read about this. Do you agree? Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I think, look, if I'm a coach of a team, you know, my job is to not just win games, but to develop players. And if it is a hundred percent like I think if you were to ask any coach, hey, does mental performance training help? Um, assuming you you get someone that's actually educated in it, I, I couldn't imagine anyone saying no. So so then the next question is, is like, okay, how do we how do we make this happen? And, and we talk about this, and you know we're we're trying to address the problem uh, by offering you know uh, kind of our, our mental performance training services to you know, local coaches, high school, college. I mean, we just started this several months ago, so it's still kind of brand new, um, you know, but we've, I think, and we've done a couple of seminars for some, you know, college coaching staffs and, um, you know, we're looking to do a lot more of that because at the end of the day, we, we just, there's a huge value in it for the coaches, for the, the staffs and for the athletes. So one of the things that I've been reading a lot about since I started doing the podcast, and honestly, I did not really know about it you know, even I'd say six months, a year ago, it's positive psychology. And it sounds to you, it sounds to me like, you know, this is what you're, you're doing over there is, is kind of implementing positive psychology. And, you know, and first of all, I mean, have you heard of the term positive psychology? I'm sure you have positive psychology. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I actually wouldn't totally agree with that only because, you know, positive psychology has been around for a while. I, I think it was like, maybe Dr. Daniel Amen that wrote the chicken soup for the soul. I think that was like a whole positive psychology book. Um, and, uh, the, the mental performance coach, I'm just, I'm trying to actually find out, um, well, I'll, I'll find it later. The mental performance coach for Alabama, I forget his name. I think he wrote a book called it takes what it takes, but his whole thing is, is the idea of staying medium and like positive psychology, uh, only works to a certain extent. You know, once you've done something for long enough, it's like you can't really trick uh, your brain, you know, into thinking, oh, yeah, everything's, you know, sunshine and, and roses. And so positive psychology has its benefits, but it also has its limits. And I think that's important for people to understand. Well, and one of the other things that, you know, you mentioned and I and I, and, and I have a note here written down, you know, to, oh. to make sure I asked you about this you know, while we were talking is like like these lessons aren't 
lessons that just apply to the field, which I think is great. You know, this is, these are things that they can take along with them, you know, to, to college, you know, and beyond, you know, mm-hmm. into that first job, you know, and, and have you had, I mean, since you, since you've been, have you had any of your, your plan? I know it's relatively new, but have any of your players come back and talk to you about that? Maybe using some of the mental training they got at T3 out in the real world? So, you know, we, we've been doing it in a serious manner for only about a year. So, no, I don't, we haven't really had much of that yet. But we have had individual stories, kind of like what you're talking about here, um, you know, with, with your boy. And uh, I, I did remember, so the going back to that positive psychology real quick. So, um, it's actually the opposite. So, instead of trying to, you know, say all these positive things to yourself and all this, it's actually just stopping the negative chatter. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm nervous before this game or, or man, I, you know, I've, you know, I'm, I'm two for 10 in my last 10 at bats. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, cutting all that out is actually more beneficial than, you know, saying all this crazy positive stuff that maybe subconsciously you don't truly believe. Well, one of the things I read about positive psychology is it's, it's more, it, it, if you're the coach of the team, it's it's about, you know, kind of uh, it, it's more about coaching up the strengths of your players. Right. And setting them up to win. So you, you put them in situations where like if you got a kid that can't shoot a three pointer, don't set up place for him to shoot a three pointer. But if he can rebound, you know, put him on the block and tell him, look, you're you know, you're our best rebounder. This is what I need you to do when you're in here. This is your role on the team. I don't need you to shoot threes. This is where I need you and and build that part of his game up. You know, and then you kind of piece that puzzle together. Right. Because you know who your three point shooters are. You know who your rebounders are. You know who your ball handlers are. And then it all kind of comes together and. And then the puzzle comes together and and everything works together like clockwork. That's the way I kind of understand positive psychology in that sense. But the mental training that you're providing, it sounds to me like you, you're, you know, you're teaching the kids to to sort of, you know, coach, coach their own strengths in a lot of ways. Is that a, is that a good way to look at it? Yeah. Look, and, and by the way, I, I'm going off stuff I've read, people I've talked to, I'm definitely not educated in this. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think it's a better, a better phrase instead of positive psychology is positive reinforcement. Um, you know, and, and, uh, in regards to, you know, the people doing the right jobs, I think kind of, it reminds me of a a business book by Jim Collins back in the day where he was talking about, you got to get the right people in the right seats, you know? So for us as a business, if, um, you know, we get someone that's super personable and, and outgoing, like we're going to want that person at, at our front desk to kind of be the first point of contact versus someone who's a little bit more shy and introverted. And, you know, same thing for sports. If you have someone, like you said, that, that should be out on the wing or whatever, I mean, obviously it's up to the coach to articulate that in, in a good way and say, hey, look, this is where you're best at. So, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, I, I've had coaches, not many, but I've had a few coaches over the years that, were kind of negative reinforcers. And I think it was kind of how they grew up. And it was like, Hey, you know, sorry, I don't know if you got, I was getting a call there. Um, you know, they were like, Hey, you know, you got to get your craft together. Like that was, you know, BS and, and, and whatever. And versus the coach slowing down and just saying, okay, what do you think went wrong on that play? You know, and and really just talking to them like it's someone that you really want to, to do well and improve. Um, so I don't. I, yeah, I think I think we think about that a little bit more as positive reinforcement. 
Well, and I think what that also does is coaching that way makes the coach more approachable for those players who maybe aren't as comfortable coming to the coach. Maybe they do become a little more comfortable coming up to the coach and, and talking to them about something good or bad related to the team. What do you think? Oh that, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that is, um, I don't, there's no, you know, fake crap going on, you know, with, with, within the team. I mean, there's no drama in that sense. It's like, Hey, look, the coach is going to give it to you straight. Um, they're, they're going to try to do what's best for you. They're going to talk to you like a grown up. Um, and, and in return, you know, we expect you to, to also do the same and come to us if you truly have, you know, issues with something or, or whatever. And I think it just, it, you know, it goes back to that psychologically safe environment. When you're not getting verbally beat down by a coach, you feel safe to be able to go, go to them and, and ask them a certain question. Yeah. And, you know, and this is again, this is where I think that building of that team culture starts. Can you talk like how was it like would, how would you just define or describe the team culture uh, that, that you endured when you were at Ohio State? Obviously, those are some great teams. I was I was actually on the sideline for the, the Miami National Championship game. I was where I was working at Channel 10 in Columbus at the time. And I was sent to uh, Phoenix to coordinate uh, our coverage out there. I was a producer at, at WBNS. And so oh, I, awesome. I was there. And so, you know, I, I was in Columbus essentially for your whole career, basically, at Ohio State. But, but those were some great teams. Was it also a great culture? You know, it's funny. I was going to say you kind of sound like a sports announcer. So that, that makes total sense. I don't know if that's exactly what you did, but um, <laughs> go ahead. Well, no, I, you know, I, I actually produce news, but I have a sports background. I did sports in Augusta. And, you know, actually what led me to the podcast was doing play by play for, I did play by play at John Carroll. And then, uh, when with COVID hit and there were so many limitations as, as to how many, uh, relatives or friends the players could have come to the games. I, I volunteered my services to do play-by-play for North Ridgeville High School football and then North Ridgeville High School basketball. I did the girls and the boys and, you know, and then that led me to the podcast. So it's it, like, you know, I, 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 news paid the bills, but, but sports, I'm a sports junkie and I, you know, and, and, and I'm just very much into it as well. So I appreciate you saying that, but yeah, I'll just blame Dom to for all that. How about that? <laughs> that <works. laughs> you, know, you know, so, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and, and so getting to experience, you know, Ohio state and during the Jim Trestle days and, you know, and all of those good teams, you know, it was, it was so much fun to watch, you know, and, and there are a lot of great players on the field. How was the culture? Yeah, I think, uh, I couldn't have been luckier to, to be in a better, um, you know, atmosphere when I was in college and, and it was really, it started from the top and it worked its way down. I mean, you know, pretty much all, all coaches on staff were, were just, phenomenal and how much they cared, how, how, uh, you know, intelligent they were, uh, how much effort they put in everything. And, you know, try it definitely started with Trestle and, you know, it's funny. I think, I think at his heart, Trestle's uh, an educator. I mean, that's kind of why he's at Youngstown state right now. And, and he, and he, you know, he truly, I felt like every time we were going there, whether it was a team practice or individual, I mean, you're, you're learning something and not always about football. I mean, there, there were a lot of times, I think our first, at least during uh, two days in the summer, uh, our first meeting of the day, we had uh, 10 to 15 minutes of what he called quiet time, where we 
you know, sat down and reflected on some kind of reading that he gave us and we had to kind of write our thoughts on it. And, um, you know, and so I I think like Trussell, whether he was educated in this stuff, I don't know, but he just naturally knew it. Um, from what I was told, his, his dad was kind of like that too, when he was the coach at Baldwin Wallace. And so it, it definitely started with him probably, you know, I was blessed to have two great parents, but I mean, Trussell was super impactful and, and influential in my life and just phenomenal guy. Uh, coach Fickle was another one. He's a head coach at Cincinnati right now. Um, you know, tough guy, hardworking guy. He was just, I think a state champ wrestler in Ohio. Um, but he just cared like crazy about people and, and trying to get better. And that's really, I mean, you can make a lot of mistakes as a coach, but if you show the kid that you really care and, and give a crap about them, uh, I mean, that, that's going to go a long way. I was going to ask you, you know, if when you look back on your playing days, you know, especially at Ohio State, you know, I mean, and you can go back as far as Avon Lake if you want, but like when you look back on it, and I think you, you kind of answered the question, it's like, you know, was this happening at the time without you even knowing that it was happening at the time, meaning, you know, the, this, this mental awareness, you know, by the coaches. And it sounds like it was definitely. Yeah. I think some people are just naturally skilled with that. I mean, a lot of the stuff that our coach talks about or mental coach talks about, um, you know, some of our coaches just naturally have it and it's just, it's kind of their personality. It's, it's their life experiences, uh, accumulated. It's, it's, you know, their interactions and, and it's all of that. Um, but other coaches, they, they don't, and not, not that that's in a, you know, a knock against them. It's just something they need to shore up and improve. So if, if there's a coach out there that, that maybe wants to learn more about the, the mental training aspect of the game and, and maybe get it more involved in, in their players, like how can they, can they reach out to you at T3? How can they get started? Yeah, I, w- I would say the easiest thing, email me at, at Mike at T3athlete.com and, um, you know, let me know what you're thinking or what your problem is or what you'd like to work on. And then we could go from there. Because it sounds like even with your coaches at T3, like even if your style has been one way for for a number of years, it sounds like you can change your style. And it sounds like some of your coaches actually have once they became more aware of the mental training aspect and how it, you know, how they can use it uh, in their day to day teachings. It sounds like some of your guys kind of flipped the script. Yeah. And, and it's not a total flipping of the script. I mean, it's, it's really more think of it more as like adding tools to your arsenal and slight tweaks on how you respond to a kid or how you give feedback. So it's nothing, um, you know, overly dramatic. It's, you know, slight tweaks here and there. Well, it's, you know, it's so refreshing to, to hear that this has become, you know, part of the norm over at T3 and the, the athletic, the physical training that goes on with the athletes, the, the mental part is just, is just such a huge, huge part of it. And like I said, I saw it firsthand and that's, that's when, you know, that's when it really, it really sunk in on me. Like I never thought about it when I was a player. I think like maybe visualization uh, was probably, you know, the big thing. Remember that? Like that was, you know, like late eighties, early nineties visual, you know, visual was such a big thing back then, but you know what, but it, it is so much more than that now, you know, and I give you a lot of credit, Mike, for, for, you know, just adding it to the repertoire over there at T3. 
No, yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, I remember, I mean, that, that's, that's still going on. Obviously, visualization is still important. People are still using it. Um, I think our, our coach uses it with some of the athletes too. Um, but uh, yeah, at, at the end of the day, like we always ask ourselves a T3 one question, like, you know, what's, what's best for the athlete, you know, and that was whether that's getting a new facility or a new piece of equipment or a new coach or whatever. And, you know, all the, all the signs were pointing towards, Hey, we we're, we're missing a big, um, you know, chunk out there for our, for our athletes. So we had to, had to fix that. That's, that's awesome. So, so Mike, before I let you go, we usually do a thing here and I can't wait to hear your answer because I'm sure you might have more than one. I like to do a thing called what's the coolest where I ask the guests, you know, and it doesn't have to be basketball, Mike. I mean, if it's football, that's fine, but you know, what's the coolest place you ever watched or played a game or i mean maybe even coached a game what's the coolest so i'd say outside of the shoe because that was definitely the coolest I'll, I'll give you two more uh wisconsin was awesome to play at and same with penn state and it just came down to the atmosphere so it was they both fans are insane so it was cool so it, and and as far as watching a game now since you haven't played is there anything that you're like man i love watching a game at at and play, you know, have you gone to any place that you think is really cool to watch a game? I think my wife and I went to the Q uh, a couple years, or Rocket, whatever it's called now, uh, a couple years ago when when we were playing the Golden State Warriors. Um, so that was really cool. Oh, cool! Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's it's crazy. Like the 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 answers that that I get for for what's the coolest it's awesome i mean we've had everything from you know the the gym where they filmed hoosiers you know to <laughs> to it's it's crazy you know and and i just love to hear it but yeah camp randall has that it just it looks crazy on tv i couldn't even imagine what it's like on the field oh the fans are throwing stuff at you as you're walking out the tunnel i don't know if it's still like that today but um uh, yeah it's just cool all right. So the other thing we do, the last thing we do is first things last on the podcast. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to fire off a few things there. It's a list of firsts and it's first things last because it's the last thing we're going to do. So Mike D'Andrea, what was your first job? Uh, I worked at Miracle Motor Mart in college, um, moving cars, washing cars, doing all that kind of stuff. Did you like it? It was great. The owner was great. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of cars, what was your first car? Uh, Jeep Cherokee. I think it was a 1989 Jeep Cherokee. Oh, how long did you have it? <laughs> I think until it uh, fell apart, two years maybe. <laughs> nice. Well, I had an Explorer like that. We ran it into the ground. I tried to get it to the moon. The moon was 230, like it's 237,000 miles to the moon. Didn't quite make it. I think we uh, got it to like 218. So I was trying to get it to the moon. Close. So, That's still a lot, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was happy with that. It was, it was, it worked out. Okay. So, Hey, do you remember the first, whether it was a record CD or cassette that you ever bought? Do you remember that? Hmm. Would have been a cassette. Oh, man. I'm telling you, know, you, a popular answer for this one is Beastie Boys License to Ill. I'm just letting you. That's <laughs> I want to say it was Bone Thugs and Harmony. They're a Cleveland uh, rap group. There you go. And uh, I think so. My, I had two older brothers and my one was um, he was in all that. And I, I think I probably just stole some of his cassette tapes. 
I did crossroads, man. I, you, you know, nice. I, you know, and it was funny because when, when I, b- before I went to Columbus, I worked in Georgia and there was a guy who would all, he, he knew bone stones and harmony. I don't know how, but he, you know, he's not from Ohio, but he knew bone stones and harmony. And man, he would just, you know, I don't know. He just, you know, because of the Cleveland connection, he'd always talk to me about bone stones and harmony. Too. So I, I remember <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. So my freshman year, like first week of showing up at Ohio state, um, the whole freshman class gets together. I think there's like 20, 25 of us and uh, a couple of the kids from Florida, San Antonio Holmes and Nate Sally and those guys, they were huge fans of, of Bone Thugs. And so they were, <laughs> they were all about the Cleveland guys. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because it was like, it's like, I don't, you know, it, it was almost like, so you're from Cleveland, so you must know them, right? And I'm like, no, I don't know them, you know? Yeah, I'm I mean, like just... about 25 minutes west in the suburbs, so I don't really know them. But a couple of guys, I think like Troy Smith and... Dante and those guys, I mean, they, they grew up right, right there with them. So, yeah. Well, another thing too, when I was in Georgia, there was a guy who's actually from Georgia and I mentioned that, you know, we had a pool in our backyard and he was like, how did you have a pool? Wasn't it cold? I'm like, it's not (laughs) cold all the time in Cleveland. He thought it was, you know, he thought it was winter all year. Although after, you know, the, the way this spring has been going, you would, you, you might think of, Hey, real quick, Mike, last one. What do you remember the first movie you saw in a movie theater? Two, uh, I think it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the old school one. I think my aunt took me. That's at least really? the first, that's the first one I can remember. That is wow. That's that, I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was going to be like Rambo or something. <laughs> yeah, that 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 came about later in my meathead years. But, nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. All right, hey, and then present day. What is the first app that you check every morning when you get up? The uh, email. Oh, is it? Yep. I know. Yeah, email. I know I know email always, yeah. That always makes the list along with Twitter. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I think my wife, uh, handles social media for like the both of us, the amount of time she's on it, but, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. No, you know, I'm just so glad that, you know, you were able to carve some time out for me on the podcast today. I mean, is there anything that, you know, that I didn't ask about or or something that you can leave us with, you know, whether it's a coach or a player when it comes to, you know, whether it's it's the the mental training aspect of the game or team culture or both? Is there is there anything you can leave us with? Yeah, I would say, um, look, first first step in I think any team or any coaching environment is create a psychologically safe environment. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Um, at the end of the day, just just show that you care about your athletes by going above and beyond. Um, I mean, when coaches just kind of show up, clock in and clock out, like like players take note of that. And so really try to go above and beyond um, and you'll, you'll get that um, effort back from your players tenfold. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Remember, if you know a great coach who's doing great things, winning games and building a great team culture at the same time, we want to hear about them. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Courtside Pod number one and on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, folks, build your players' strengths, find them all a role and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. 
We'll see you next time.